a fatal shooting on a North Carolina college campus. A graduate student charged with the murder of his professor, both victim and suspect of Chinese descent. What led to the attack? Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo's trip to China is coming to an end. She says she didn't expect to resolve major issues ahead of the visit, but it seems something may have changed her tune. A new pact between the U.S. and the Pacific, granting special powers to American ships in the highly contested region. And labeled as mentally ill for an anti-Chinese regime stance, a 19-year-old activist shares his story, trapped in a Chinese psychiatric hospital. I'm totally normal. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. New details on the fatal shooting in North Carolina. Authorities charged the suspect with first-degree murder on Tuesday. The suspect is named Tai Lei Qi, a grad student at the University of North Carolina. The victim, Ji Jie Yan, was his advisor. Yan was shot dead in a school building on Monday. University police asked students to hide inside immediately. There we see the police are just lining up all down and you see fire trucks, EMS, there's what looked like, like armored vehicles coming in as the FBI, ATF, everyone came in. And it's just all kind of shocking, like this is happening here. In less than two hours, authorities arrested the suspect in a neighborhood near the campus. Now, police say the motive of the shooting is still unknown, though according to news outlet The Independent, Chi had complained about the victim in earlier social media posts. The victim headed the lab and served as an associate professor at the university. He took the job there in 2019 and is a father of two. The suspect did not enter a plea. A judge ordered him to remain in jail without bond. If convicted, he faces life sentence in prison without parole. The suspect's next court date is set for September 18th. Does the U.S. still hold the upper hand in the U.S.-China economic battle? U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is addressing tensions during a meeting with Chinese officials, stating that a reported Chinese hacking of her email account, quote, erodes trust. Here's a closer look. So I had no expectation that on my first visit here and my first meeting with Chinese officials that we would suddenly resolve uh, you know, specific issues. The exchange comes after Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo described China as uninvestable in recent days. On the other hand, Beijing has repeatedly called on the U.S. to not decouple with China and has shifted certain policies to emphasize the appeal of its market, industrial systems and workers. Why the change? Uh, Communist China is treating the Biden administration like a lackey and now that, that they are facing their real estate empire imploding and, uh, and an economic depression, they suddenly have an interest in speaking to America. And of course, it's on commerce and trade. Though it's not just China looking to ramp up trade, during her trip, Raimondo zeroed in on a goal to reduce misunderstandings between the superpowers, especially when it comes to export controls. Now is the time to ask China to make concessions. They need our help, and we need to make sure that we get something important in return. But when China requested that the U.S. ease export limits and its ban on investments in new tech, Raimondo refused, citing national security concerns. The administration should be very tough in their approach to China, and I'm afraid they will not be. 
The White House's intent for a thaw in U.S.-China relations has sparked criticism from U.S. lawmakers. Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall, said the decision is at best naive, but also dangerous. But officials have also made a distinction. We are not targeting China. Uh, we're, we're targeting actions and behavior which, which undermine U.S. national security. When it comes to the significance of Raimondo's refusal to lift restrictions... I think it's very important to, to communist China. It's not as important to us because we hold the upper hand here. And if she can just hold firm, then we could make progress. Early in July, President Biden described China as a ticking time bomb. That's as China's economy sank into deflation in July amid a slew of other economic woes. A strategic win for Washington. The U.S. now has the authority to enforce maritime law around a tiny Pacific island country. The nation of Palau recently signed off an agreement with Washington, allowing U.S. Coast Guard troops to patrol inside its exclusive economic zone without a Palauian officer on site. This follows requests from Palau's president asking for more U.S. backing to push back on Beijing's aggression in nearby waters. He added that China's targeted actions might be a show of retaliation. That's because Palau is one of just 13 countries that still recognizes Taiwan as a sovereign nation and maintains formal diplomatic relations. For decades, the Chinese Communist Party sees Taiwan as its own territory and has vowed to take it by force if necessary. That's despite never having ruled it. The UK is staying clear-eyed on China. We have to have a pragmatic, sensible working relationship with China because of the issues uh, that affect us all around the globe. That's the word from British Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, alongside of a Wednesday meeting with his Chinese counterpart in Beijing. He noted that he foresees opportunities for the two countries, despite disagreements in several areas. Among them, the national security law Beijing imposed on Hong Kong, Chinese sanctions on some British lawmakers, London's restrictions on Chinese investment, national security fears, and concerns about Chinese aggression toward Taiwan. Of course, we are also aware that occasional disturbances arise in the China-UK relationship. Cleverly is the first senior British minister in five years to visit China. While there, he also met with Chinese vice leader Han Zhen. The meeting drew criticism from some UK lawmakers who view it as a sign of British weakness. Others argue a more positive relationship with China could benefit the globe. As China's economy struggles, U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is in the country for a fourth day of talks. Will her trip lend a hand to China's troubled economy? And how is her reality check impacting China's economy? NTD's Chris Spears spoke to Antonio Graceffo, China economic analyst and author of Beyond the Belt and Road, China's Global Economic Expansion, for more. Antonio Graceffo, thank you for joining us. Hey, good to see you, Chris. Antonio, talk to us about the overarching state of China's economy. China's economy right now is about the worst I've ever seen. Um, we have FDI is at, is at a multi-decade low. Uh, exports are down. Uh, factory activity is down. We're seeing price deflation. We're seeing uh, factory gate price deflation. Uh, very high youth unemployment. And what role do souring U.S.-China relations play in all this? 
Well, I think part of the reason that the Chinese economy is in trouble is because of the U.S. restrictions on investment, increasing restrictions on investment, increasing restrictions on Chinese investment in the United States, uh, trade restrictions, and the chip ban. I think those are all playing a role. Now, Su Tzu Yun, a senior analyst at Taiwan's Institute for National Defense and Security Research, has said that China's economic predicament was created by the CCP itself. Explain that for us. Absolutely. First of all, as soon as you have a communist economy, as soon as you have a non-market economy, you're going to have economic problems. By definition, communism causes market distortions. And we know that free markets grow faster and create a higher standard of living for people than any other type of, uh, of system. And what's China looking to do to take care of this economic situation? I am not sure what, what China's move will be. What I will say is that over the past just three, four months even, they've intensified the rules like the uh, foreign policy uh, legislation, the uh, national defense legislation, intelligence legislation, counterterrorism legislation. And all these things together are just making it less and less attractive for foreign companies to open in China or to take investment in China, which is driving away the FDI, driving down the, uh, you know, the job creation, driving down the exports. I just don't see how CCP policies are helping the economy. They're hurting it. Antonio Graceffo, thank you for your time. Thank you, Chris. A plan to rescue China's faltering economy. Leaders in Beijing want to boost sluggish Chinese stocks. To do this, they've decided to limit the number of new companies allowed to go public. Supposedly, by reducing the influx of new firms, more funds can be directed toward existing company stocks. This increase in investment is anticipated to drive up stock prices. The surprise move from Chinese authorities aims to revitalize a sluggish stock market and bolster investor trust. But some analysts say it might bring the opposite effect, potentially hurting China's economy even more. They say limiting what companies can go public could also restrict their access to capital. And with less capital means more difficulty for businesses looking to expand, ultimately leading to fewer jobs. Analysts add stock performance doesn't depend on how many are listed. Instead, it changes based on the overall health of the economy. Beyond boosting stock performance, China's faltering economy is in desperate need of another kind of rescue, more babies. And Beijing is racing to make that happen. First, the Chinese Communist Party says it wants to make preschools more accessible. That's to incentivize people to have more kids by keeping preschool providers from making what the state deems excessive profit. And just last week, authorities in the city of Xi'an used Chinese Valentine's Day to send text messages to locals, wishing them love, marriage, and childbirth. The messages reportedly also read, quote, continue the blood of China and share the important task of rejuvenation. Last year, China's fertility rate, the average number of babies a woman would have in her lifetime, dropped to a record low, just 1.09 births per woman. That figure comes alongside China's first population drop in six decades. Amid the disappointing data, a country in eastern China is offering couples a cash reward if the bride is aged 25 or younger. But young Chinese couples are citing problems like low consumer confidence and economic worries as reasons not to get married or have children. If you aren't pro-Chinese Communist Party, you are mentally ill. 
an imposing statement directed at a freshman college student by Chinese doctors. The 19-year-old had been detained inside a mental health clinic for months, all because he joined a protest against China's top politician. Here's the story. I'm totally normal. I never had any mental illness. Zhang Junjie got in one of China's top-tier universities last year. His college life kicked in while Chinese citizens were struggling with lockdowns and strict antivirus policies. But for John, his fate took an unexpected turn after he stepped into a crowd of demonstrators at his school. Little did he know that demonstration would snowball into one of the largest civil movements ever to erupt in today's China. Last year, on the night of November 27, 2022, as well as 8 a.m. on the 28th, I went to the front of our school's main building and joined two demonstrations of people who were holding sheets of blank paper protesting against the CCP and Xi Jinping's zero-COVID-19 policy. The blank paper movement spread quickly across the country, targeting Beijing's draconian pandemic policy. Dubbed the zero-COVID-19 strategy, it employed a unique and strict approach, laying out rules unlike the measures found in other countries. It aimed to entirely eliminate cases of the virus inside the country, with extensive mass testing for swift illness detection and full lockdowns to stop transmission. After 8 a.m. on November 28th, I was taken by several school leaders and teachers to a conference room where I was placed under house arrest for an entire day. John's trouble spiraled from there. On three occasions over the next five months, John was sent to a mental health clinic. Then plainclothes police and doctors told me, if you do not support the CCP, you are sick. And if you do not love the country and the Communist Party, this is what will happen to you. A warning, some viewers may find the next section of John's story disturbing. John explained he had no history of mental health concerns, but he was forcibly injected with psychiatric drugs like olanzapine and aripopazoid daily while detained. He later developed a number of health problems, which he says he still suffers from today including pain in his abdomen near his liver, as well as other symptoms. They insert two needles into your ears and neck, then electrically shock you again and again. I saw a patient who was shocked to the point where his ears and nose were bleeding. John's most recent detention lasted for two months. By that time, he said he had already made up his mind to leave the country. He later applied to study at a New Zealand university and fled China. The costs of defending human rights inside China have far exceeded John's expectations. He says he doesn't fear the communist regime. Chinese authorities are urging residents to amp up their protection measures against expected floods. That's as a hurricane is forecast to hit China's Guangdong this Friday. Chinese authorities held emergency meetings last Saturday, warning that torrential rain could drench areas across China and that rivers could overflow as a result. China's southern Hunan was hit with torrential rain the past weekend, while northern Hebei province also suffered. A resident posted a video online about what's happening. It started raining again. The water level has reached my knee. This is my factory. 
Weather experts haven't figured out the path of the upcoming hurricane, but Chinese authorities said it would dump rain on southeastern coastal regions like Fujian and Zhejiang. Coming up from tech giant Huawei to social media platform TikTok, Chinese lobbying is in full swing to buy influence in America. Are major Chinese apps reshaping the fabric of American society from the inside out? And how is the China lobby posing a political risk to Washington? We welcome Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, back on the show for details. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Are foreign powers buying American influence? As lobbyists work to ply players in Washington, some of the biggest names in China's tech sector are coming to light. Why all the lobbying? And how big of a risk does it pose at a time when U.S.-China relations have hit an all-time low? We hear from Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, for more. Rex Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Tiffany, for having me on the program. And Rex, with Huawei especially, we've seen a lot of Huawei in rural areas close to where our military and nuclear bases are. But mm -hmm. on the terms of these former presidential advisors, what is the solution here? Well, you know, the, the problem is, is it, it's just not lobbyists for Chinese companies that are in our government at a high level. Um, which is ironic because you, you know, the other day uh, the Biden administration declared, um, uh, you know, regarding uh, uh, microchips, um, um, declared China a, a threat. Yet Tony Podesta, I mean John Podesta's brother, Tony Podesta is representing Huawei and has a direct line to Joe Biden's uh, presidential office. So you get mixed messages as well as you have congressional representatives, elected officials, senators, and congressmen, also stating that China is a threat on many levels, as well as uh, the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, um, uh, also identifying China as a threat in these matters. Yet these same congressional uh, representatives later on become lobbyists and actually go to work for these companies or work for law firms that are being hired by these Chinese companies. So you can see that they've infiltrated our government in a high, um, um, in, in, in at a pretty high level, when, especially when you consider they're going all the way up to the White House and the presidential level. So if you look at those three instances, and uh, you ask yourself, well, how come these companies aren't getting involved to, to stop distributing these uh, intrusive uh, Chinese surveillance and data mining apps? Uh, well, it, Microsoft is one of the distributors of those, and it would cost them billions of dollars, potentially. So now you, you have Microsoft almost internally saying, yeah, we know these apps pose a security threat to government agencies and, um, and uh, state agencies, which is why the, these apps like TikTok and Lemonade are being banned uh, by states and the federal government. But at the same time, they're struggling with the fact that uh, uh, if they stop the distribution of those apps to consumers, uh, it's going to cost them billions of dollars. And Rex, it seems another one in the news recently was Zoom, which became almost synonymous with working from home during the pandemic. And there was reports mm -hmm. that all of the info, the video, audio, messages even would be used to train China's AI. And there's a lot of concerns there. So what can be done? I wrote Zoom a letter to clarify 
what information they're using. Now, Zoom came back with a, a statement that states that they're not using content from the video conferences, uh, such as the texting that you're doing during the conference or your video conference to train their AI, but they're using information that the Zoom uh, collects about your account, meaning your personal information. You would think that would just be your name, the name of your company and so forth. But what people don't realize is that these apps are like legal malware, as you and I reported in the past. The app enables the company to collect your other text messages not associated uh, with your Zoom calls, which means that they're attaching themselves to your messenger. They can collect your calendar information. Uh, they can also attach themselves to your camera and your uh, microphone to record uh, you without your consent. So, you know, what I want to know from Zoom is, okay, you're collecting a lot more information off of people's PCs and smartphones than what's going on in the conference calls to train your AI. AI, what Google, Apple, Microsoft, including ByteDance, Tencent, and Badu, and any other Chinese company that's developing AI, all of these AI developers are using the, the uh, internet as a treasure trove of information to collect. Well, that includes all sorts of what I believe is copyrighted and protected information, such as photographs, text messages, um, um, web searches, you can just imagine the amount of information that they can collect um, uh, out there, uh, books, uh, articles, um, music, and all of that. So you, they're, they're scraping the internet and training their AI with this. And then the AI is turning around and producing articles, photographs. There may be manipulated photographs that look like a totally new photograph, and Rex, it seems it's extremely concerning, especially in light of, say, this artificial intelligence or AI revolution where data mm -hmm. is king. And each country is racing to get their hands on as much data to feed their machines and become the next superpower. The U.S., in a way, is helping China potentially get there first. So what can we do now to maybe even this playing field? It boils down to the three companies, if you want to get to the root of the problem, Google, Apple, and Microsoft are actually actively engaging and distributing Chinese surveillance and data mining technology in the form of these uh, intrusive apps and social media platforms like TikTok, Lemonade, WeChat. So now if you wanna look at how we're competing against China, then you have to ask yourself why, if we're competing against China regarding AI and advancing US corporations version of AI, the very companies that in the United States that are leading the development and distribution of AI, Google, Apple, and Microsoft are also distributing what's supposed to be their uh, business competitor companies in China. They're also actively distributing China's AI through the distribution of intrusive apps and social media platforms developed by Chinese companies like ByteDance, Tencent, and Badu. Rex Lee, thank you so much yes. for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.